Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Yeah, this is one of my good friends, one of my best friends in the world, Wilson McCoy. Wilson is a minister at the College Hills Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. And you may remember Wilson, a little over a year ago, I got COVID and Wilson filled in for us digitally, sent a, a video sermon. That's when we were all online. And so you've heard Wilson before, but I convinced Wilson to come to town this weekend and to preach for us. He's one of my favorite preachers. And so you're going to be blessed to hear him this morning. We're going to jump out of our Genesis story or series today, although what he's talking about certainly connects to Genesis, and you'll see that here in just a second. We'll be back in it next week, and I'll be up afterwards to say uh, dismissal and a prayer of blessing over y'all as we end. My friend Wilson. Uh, thank you, Highland, for uh, letting me be here. Virtually was fun. Thank you for that, but in person's even better, so thank you for letting me uh, be here again with you to be a, a guest speaker. This is a, a wonderful church, and I'm grateful for Eric's friendship and his ministry and for this opportunity to be here. Uh, a quick little addition to his details. We were actually, my family and I, already heading into Memphis this weekend uh, because I got the experience on Thursday night to go see Baby Shark live with my three-year-old daughter. So I don't know, Terry, if you know any Baby Shark, but maybe we could do that here in a little bit. If I break out into song, just everybody uh, follow in. That was an experience, to say the least. So I'm really glad to be here. My sister and brother-in-law live here in Memphis area, and so it's great to visit them, and it's great to be at church with you all. And it's a real honor to be able to speak to you uh, this morning. Um, I will let you know before we jump into our text, I have a, a beatitude of preaching that I always live by whenever I am asked to guest preach anywhere. And it goes a little something like this. Blessed are the brief, for they will be invited back. So you can rest assured we, we, will, we will not be in here too long this morning. If you have your Bible, open up to John 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at John 1, 1 through 9. And if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Uh, the scripture will be on the screen behind you. This is John 1 starting in verse 1 and reading through until verse 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this new week signs of spring as these signs of your life-giving power at work in the world. And I pray this morning that your life-giving power would be at work in your proclamation of the word. I pray that you would give me the gift 
of preaching and teaching and that you would speak through me a word that is true to who you are and who you're calling us to be as your people. God, we are so grateful for the gift of community and for the ways in which we are reminded that we do not walk this journey of faith alone. And may something that I say be nourishment and sustenance for all of us on that journey as we move together in faith by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I ended up buying a new used car in some circumstances that I didn't expect. Uh, And the circumstances that were unexpected was the arrival of my daughter a month before she was supposed to be delivered. We had had a few things that we were trying to get prepared as we waited for her birth in February, and then she showed up a month early in January. And just a couple of days before she unexpectedly arrived, I had taken my car to a local car dealership in order for them to check out some repairs and kind of get a price quote on some things. Because for some reason, my wife wasn't thrilled about me not having air conditioner in my car with a newborn in it as the Tennessee summer approached. So I said, okay, I'll go get some quotes on that. But while I was there, it was also a used car lot. And so I wanted to see some of the used cars that they had there thinking maybe that was a better option for us. And so I dropped off my car, letting a price quote or two get made. And, and while I was there, I decided I would look at all of these used cars. And I looked at all of them. But right before I was about to leave, the salesman there had me look at this one very special used car. He didn't want me to just look at this car. He wanted me to touch the car. He wanted me to sit in the car. He even had me drive this very special used car around the parking lot. I don't know if this has happened to you before on a car lot or not, but I wasn't ready to make any decisions that day. And so I left my car there so we could get those price quotes. I was driven home back to Lebanon. And then two days later, our daughter Everly arrived unexpectedly early. And so for about two or three weeks, That used car of mine stayed on that lot with all of those other used cars. But the strangest thing happened in those two or three weeks while we were trying to learn to be new parents. It seemed like everywhere I went, that very special used car was everywhere. It seemed as though the make and model of that car was everywhere that I went. It was as if that car had also given birth and had given its children all over to the community of Lebanon, wherever I went, I saw that car. Have you ever had this happen to you where you're looking for a car and you're searching for it and you're thinking about buying it and then you just happen to see that car everywhere? Or you learn a new word and then it seems like everybody is using that new word in every conversation that you're in. Or maybe you meet a new person and then it seems like you run into that person everywhere you go. Now, you know what I know, and it's not that there is all of a sudden more of that thing or that word or that person there, but you and I have instead become more aware. In other words, it's not as if a change has happened outside of us, but there's been a change in awareness on the inside of us. And sometimes that change in awareness happens by accident. We just happened to learn a new word that we didn't know, or we just happened to meet a new person that we didn't know the day before. But sometimes that change in awareness can happen on purpose. We can make conscious decisions to be more aware of certain things in the world. 
Now, if I were to sum up one of the things that I think John is trying to do with the beginning of his gospel is that he is trying to help the church make an on-purpose change in awareness in light of the gospel of Jesus. Now, when I say gospel, I know that's a word you're familiar with. I know last year you moved through the gospel of Mark, learning more about this good news of Jesus through the eyes of Mark. But one of the things that I think is beautiful about scripture is that we don't just have one account of the gospel, but we have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's always fun to pay attention to the similarities of those accounts of the gospel, but it's also interesting to pay attention to the differences. Because sometimes it's in paying attention to the differences that we learn some new and unique things about the good news of Jesus. And I think that's especially true when it comes to the introductions of these four gospels. Because all four gospel writers start their gospels very differently. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Mark starts in the wilderness with John the Baptist. Luke starts with these well-known birth stories. And then we get to John. And John starts with this unique and evocative poem. And we can get some sense of what he's trying to invoke in us as listeners and readers by some of the language that he repeats in the opening words of his gospel. Here's what he says in the first two verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, to a church like yourself who's been journeying through the book of Genesis for the first quarter of this year, then it probably comes as no surprise what John is trying to take our imaginations back to in how he presents the beginning of the good news of Jesus. Because twice in two verses, he uses this phrase, in the beginning, which is that phrase that is so well known that starts the entire story of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's something about Genesis for John that he wants us to have in mind when we think about the entrance of Jesus into the world. Another way to say it, that that the importance of the good news for John is that it is an act of new creation for the whole world. The entrance of Jesus is this beautiful act of new creation for the sake of of the whole world. That's why the gospel is so important to John. But one of the things that I love about John's gospel is it's not just that he tells us why the good news of Jesus is important, but he, but he also tells us about the implications. And one of the implications of the good news of Jesus for John is that the entrance of Jesus is an entrance of light into the world. Notice how seamlessly John goes from talking about creation language to talking about light. In the very next two verses, he writes this, all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. John is talking about creation, and then John immediately starts talking about light. Which again, should come as no surprise to us because the first creative act of God is what? Let there be light. But what's really important to know about the gospel of John is that 
just because he uses a word and we kind of have a definition that we carry with that word, there's always layers of meaning when he uses certain words. And light is one of those words. Because on one level, on one layer, we think of light and we think of this physical material reality that we experience on a daily basis. And that's very much in mind because the creation story is in mind here. But as we read through John's gospel and we read all of these different references to this word light, we're going to see that John has some different layers in mind when he uses a word like this. That for John, light isn't just about a physical reality, but it's about this deeper life-giving reality in Jesus. And so, for example, you get to a passage like John 8, 12, where Jesus makes that famous I am statement. I am the light of the world. That Jesus is talking a lot more than just about a physical material reality. What is he saying? He is saying he is the life giving, life-guiding, illuminating presence of God in their midst for the whole world. That light for John is, yes, about a physical reality, but it's also about this deeper, life-giving reality and presence that we experience in Jesus. And the same is true for a word like darkness, because if you talk about light, then inevitably you're going to talk about darkness. And and darkness is another one of those layered words for John. Darkness isn't just about the the absence of physical light, but but this word darkness is this deeper, more layered word that, that also is about disconnection from the person of Jesus, from the life giving guidance of Jesus. And so, for example, in a couple of chapters, in John chapter 3, there's going to be this guy named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus, and they have this really long and interesting conversation. But John starts telling us the story by letting us know that Nicodemus didn't come to Jesus at just any time, but he came to him by the darkness of night. In other words, it's commentary about where Nicodemus is in John chapter 3, that he has this disconnection from the life-giving power of Jesus. And if you keep following this word throughout John's gospel, you're gonna quickly see that it's not just about disconnection from Jesus when he uses this word, but it's going to also become this word to talk about opposition to Jesus. That there are these forces opposed to the life-giving work of God in Jesus that John will use and describe them with this word dark or this word darkness. And throughout John's gospel, he's constantly using both of these words, but there's always these deeper layers that we need to pay attention to when he does use light and darkness. But the one thing that I want to point out is not just the fact that John is honest about light and dark in the world, but I want us to notice how he talks about the relationship of these two realities in the opening of his gospel. Because he's going to use the word light a total of six times in these first nine verses. And he's only going to use the word darkness twice. And the one time that he uses those two words are in verse 5 where he writes this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Or the way another translation puts it, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then just one more for variety's sake. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
John wants us to know that when it comes to light, it's in the present tense. It is continuous. It is active. It is here and now, and it is vibrantly at work in the world because of the entrance of Jesus. But darkness is in the past tense. Darkness has not, will not, and can never overcome the light that we find in Jesus. The light is shining. The light will shine, and there's nothing that the darkness can do to stop the light from shining. And it's that one truth that I think is so essential for our churches today to pay attention to. Because it seems like to me that one of the biggest temptations of our churches today is for us to live as if we believe this verse is backwards. That that we now live in this world where it is so easy for us to live as if we believe that the darkness is winning, that the darkness will win, and that there's nothing that the light can do. And that is the exact opposite of what John tells us. Now, what I'm not saying here, and I don't want to be misunderstood, is I'm not contending for some kind of what I call bobblehead Christianity. Remember those bobblehead dolls that would sit on your car or your shelf, and no matter what happened, the bobblehead just kept smiling. And sometimes that can be kind of this snapshot of the kinds of Christianity that we have. We're just going to smile and bobble our head no matter what and try to pretend like darkness doesn't exist. And so maybe if we ignore it, it just will go away. That's not what we see in John. What we see in John is not someone telling us to pretend like darkness doesn't exist. But what we see is someone telling us to have perspective about which one is stronger A few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast with a leader who primarily works with young adults in churches around the country. And he was talking about this new dynamic that we can uh, have, have encountered as a culture that is happening in younger generations, he thinks most significantly, but later on he'll say it's kind of happening in all generations. And the description of our culture that he gave was that once upon a time, we used to live in a world where a tragic, awful event would happen. And then we would have a day or two, and then that event was reported to us. That there was some space between hard to difficult thing and our awareness of that hard and difficult thing. But with technological advances and the way that our world is getting smaller, that space between happening and reporting is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And now it doesn't exist anymore. That we can be tuned into difficult, tragic, hard things in the real time. And there is great blessing to that, so hear me say that, but there is also some unexpected and maybe unreflected upon ripple effects of that new reality as well. And so I think it's important for us to pay attention to this new dynamic that we face on a daily basis. Whether it's something that we're being sold on TV, which always has this undergirding effect of fear, or whether it's the infamous doom scrolling that we always have on our phones, One of the things that the leader said, he he kind of jokingly said, you know, it's hard for a lot of people these days to have a good day and not feel guilty about it. (laughs) And I laugh because I resonate with that, right? You have a good day. You have this day where you feel like you experience blessing, but you're also so tuned in to dark and difficult and tragic things that are happening all around us that that has an effect on our mental health 
that has effect on our spiritual formation. And often, because of this new dynamic in which we live, we are shaped in ways that we need to stop and pause and be aware of. And not just stop and pause and be aware of, but also stop and pause and resist. Resist with these truths of John about the kinds of people he wants us to be in the world. People who believe that the light is shining and the darkness cannot overcome it. That yes, we can admit it, we can name it, but ultimately at the end of the day, we have perspective about which is stronger. I think that's why John immediately begins talking about John the Baptist in our very next few verses. Because this is what he says about John the Baptist. He writes, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John the Baptist in one life is what John's gospel is trying to do in its entirety. What John is trying to do with his one gospel, John the Baptist does with his one life. And that is simply to be a witness to the light. That is simply to be the kind of person in the world who simply looks for and points to the light. Never claiming to be the light, I am not the Messiah, but always being willing to point to the light. Behold the Lamb of God. And I think what we see in John gives us insight into the kinds of people we're called to be as disciples. As men and women in this world today where we struggle of what does it mean for us to have purpose? And I think John the Baptist gives us insight into the kinds of people we're supposed to be. People who do not claim to be the light, but who simply look for it and point to it. And the more that we do that, the more that others will see that. Because in the same way that someone's going to point out something new to you and then you begin to see it all over the place, the same is true with light and dark. If you are constantly pointing out the darkness, then the people around you are going to constantly see the darkness. But if you're the kind of person who is constantly looking for and pointing to the light, then other people will begin to see that light as well. One of my favorite experiences growing up as a child happened every Christmas where my family and I would go looking for Christmas lights. On the Sunday evening before Christmas, every year without fail, Right after Sunday evening church ended, my family, my sister, myself, my mom, and my dad, we would load up into the car, we'd get some food, and then we would drive all over town looking for Christmas lights. And one of the things that I love so much about this experience is I never knew where we were going to go. Every year in Clarksville, we would go down different roads into new neighborhoods, and there was always this sense of excitement and adventure as we would go out looking for lights, and so we would crest a hill, and there would be the white glow of one house, and then we would crest another hill, and there would be the multicolored glow of another house, and then inevitably, there would always be what I call the nativity mashup, which was baby Jesus with Mary and Joseph and Mickey Mouse and Santa Claus worshiping at the feet of the Lord. Some of you may have this nativity at your house that you display each year, but here's the deal. We weren't going out to critique or make fun of the lights. We were just simply going to look for them and point to them wherever we saw light. 
we went and we pointed. Look, there's light, go over there. Look, there's light, let's go over there. Now imagine with me for a second how different of an experience it would have been for me as a child and how much therapy I would have needed as an adult if my parents would have done the following instead. Where after church, we would all get in the car and then my parents would turn around to the back seat to me and my sister and they would say, all right, kids, let's go find some darkness. And they would hand us cold turkey sandwiches and they would turn static on the radio and we would just drive around Clarksville in the dark looking for dark. And guess what? If you've ever been searching for Christmas lights, you would know there would have been plenty for us to point to. And if anybody in the car would have said, oh, look, there's some light, the rest of the car would have turned and then said, be quiet. That's not why we're here. We're looking for darkness. That would have been a long and difficult night for children or adults. But no, that's not what we did. Instead, what did we do? We got into the car with a sense of adventure with a sense of expectation, with a, with a sense of community. And wherever we went and we saw lights, we simply pointed to the light. We didn't critique the light if it wasn't shining exactly like we thought. And we didn't critique the light if they decorated their house. Maybe not exactly how we would have decorated our house. That's not what we were there for. We were simply there to look and point. We were simply there to be witnesses to the light around us. And as we pointed it out to each other, guess what? Everybody else in the car was able to see more light as well. This is who the church is called to be. This family of God on an adventure with God and with one another, traveling through this life that we have been given. Not as men and women who are called to be witnesses to the darkness, but men and women who are called to be witnesses to the light. Which means, yes, we name darkness where we see it. And we oppose darkness when we confront it. But we don't pretend like it's not there. But we have perspective about which one is ultimately stronger and which one will ultimately win. And so we point to it. We witness to it. And we live into those light-giving, life-giving realities by the power of God through the person of Jesus the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Amen. Dear God, thank you so much for this beautiful church and the people that you've called here. I pray that you would help us all to be witnesses to your light. As we go out here in just a few minutes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you are working in the world. Help us to have courage and boldness to speak against the darkness, but also help us to have courage and boldness to point to the light and to live with the conviction that it is always stronger and that it will win in the end because we trust that you will win in the end. Thank you so much for Jesus and the life-giving power that we have in his name, and we pray. Amen.